pray. Grab your Bible, have that handy, and we're going to jump into uh, the second part of our series on the transforming Word of God. Father, we just thank you today. We thank you that you are not only with us, but by virtue of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you have sent your spirit to dwell within us. Lord, it's always been your intention throughout all of eternity to have a people that you could dwell within. It has always been your heart's desire to have a people that you could commune so deeply with that you could reside within them. And the story of your scripture is the story of a with God life. It is the story of what life could look like with you. From Adam to Revelation, we see through great examples and through not so great examples, the with God kind of life. And Father, our hearts are stirred and inspired. Our hearts are fueled and motivated. Our hearts are awakened to this with God life. And we pray that your spirit would be the primary communicator and the primary medium of revelation and truth and change today to the glory of your name and the advancement of this great kingdom in Jesus' name, amen. We're in the middle of a series on the transforming word of God. And before I get into the meat of a lot of these things, let me just share a little bit of my heart and expose a little bit of transparency and vulnerability. In a lot of ways, I feel like I am being born again, again. And it is a thrilling experience. It is a thrilling experience to approach the word, something that I have literally lived in for the past 25 years or so. And to come at it with fresh eyes and more importantly, to come at it with a fresh heart. About seven and a half years ago, the Lord did something very, very significant in my life when he began revealing to me the message of sonship, the reality of sonship, uh, the importance of scriptures like Bernard read this morning in Galatians 4 and Romans 8, 15. And guys, I wanna tell you, that literally changed the entire trajectory of my life. And I felt like the Lord is doing it again as it relates to grace, as it relates to the word, as it relates to our relationship with him and having right and proper motivation. Uh, as I've been preparing for this particular series, I actually consulted uh, a classic book in my library called The Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster. There's a particular chapter on there that focuses on the word of God as one of our disciplines that posture us to engage with God's grace to encounter God's power. Well, that book led me to another book that he authored. And the name of that book is called Life with God. And here's the title, Life with God, Reading the Bible for Spiritual Transformation. Now, I don't do this often. And those of you who are family members of the house know that very rarely will I take a book and just preach from that book. But I feel like I'm supposed to do that with this one. I, I, I have discovered some revolutionary gems within this particular book. And I think that, you know, I found myself saying, I don't know why I should reinvent the wheel. Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna just take a lot of his big picture ideas. I'll, 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 I'll marinate on those. I'll let those things go deep and then I'll repackage those and, and, and translate those for the house. But I wanna encourage you, uh, this would be a fun book for us to go through together. And we're gonna be in this series from now probably till Thanksgiving. So we're just gonna, we're gonna hang and we're gonna camp in the revolutionary things God wants to do in the word of God for this body. 
The title of the book again is Life with God, Reading the Bible for Spiritual Transformation by Richard Foster. Let me read, this is in the preface. I just wanna read a, pa- a paragraph here and I'll use this as a launching pad for, uh, for the text this morning. Our deep concern for the Bible as the foundational text for Christian spiritual formation continues in this little book which we have written here. It has been developed to invite us into a deeper and more authentic life with God. Now, let me just stop right there. I cannot say that in all of the messages, and I've heard lots, probably not as many as a lot of you, but I'm, I'm constantly just steeping in podcasts. I remember from high school through college, I would take every penny that I would have and I would buy a sermon series on cassette tape and I would just just listen to preachers over and over and over again. I've heard very, very few messages that accentuate this statement right here, that the power of the word is to invite us into a deeper and more authentic life with God. Now, I understand the word, or there's great principles, there's great wisdom, it is the word of God, it is an incredible document to be studied, there's life in the word, so many of those things, faith building, but in terms of an invitation into life with God, I think that this is a missing lynch pin for my life and potentially for us as a community of believers. I might, I might be way behind a lot of you guys on that and that's where I'm just gonna be honest and vulnerable with you. It seeks to illuminate what I call the Emmanuel principle, which is the dynamic of spiritual transformation intertwining divine action and human reaction. So one of his big premises very simply is that the scriptures have been written to invite us into life with God. In fact, when we look at the stories, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Daniel, Esther, David, all of these incredible, incredible heroes of the word, the purpose of those stories is not to point to how great they were and then to challenge us to be that great. That wasn't the purpose of those stories. The purpose of those very real life accounts was to show us what life with God could look like and to invite us through their story into deeper, fuller, richer life with God. That's the Emmanuel principle. You'll hear me talk more about that. In all of human experience, from the stories of biblical characters through the generations of Christian tradition, so wonderful men and women of God, John Wesley, John Luther, or, or, or Luther, Martin Luther, and even into some of the incredible men and women of God, their heroes today, their lives exemplify the with God kind of life, which can only be experienced by God's grace in God's spirit with God's word. That was my part, not his. Just kidding, guys. (laughs) Just kidding. Always, the purpose of such understanding is not that we will become more proficient in Bible knowledge. You're gonna hear me hit this bell over and over and over and over again. The point of the scriptures, the point of the Bible is not that we become great scholars of the Bible. In the sense that the point of the Bible is not just to accumulate more Bible knowledge. Accumulating more Bible knowledge as our motivation always sets us up for a slippery slope of arrogance and pride and division in the body. 
When we approach the scripture simply as a document to validate our knowledge and to validate our position of what we've accumulated and what we know, it always produces division and death. So the point, the purpose of understanding is not to become proficient in Bible knowledge alone. Rather, it is that we will be enabled to live life out of this life, which is truly life. Let me say that one more time. It is that we will be enabled and empowered by God's spirit and by God's grace to live the spiritual with God kind of life that he designed for us. Into ongoing discipleship to Jesus. The scriptures have been written to facilitate an ongoing discipleship with Jesus. Every time we approach the word, there is an opportunity for ongoing discipleship unto Jesus that has been made available for us. And what is the end result of that? Ongoing discipleship to Jesus in such a way that our hearts and our minds are progressively transformed into the very nature and into the very heart and into the very mind of God. That is profound. That this word then becomes a bridge into the heart and mind of God in such a way that your mind is transformed into the very mind of God. That the way that you begin to think about issues, whatever those issues may be, with the starting point of individual issues all the way out to societal and cultural issues. Now, one of the reasons why we're experiencing things that we're experiencing on a societal and cultural level is because we are not thinking with the mind of God. Those that have the privilege and those that have the authority to shape laws, to teach educational curriculum, the big question here is whose mind are you operating out of? Are you operating out of the wisdom of the world, which James 3 says produces death and leads to selfish ambition, or are you operating out of the mind of God, which can only be found through the words of God? So my big overarching goal, my big overarching target on the wall is that in the next three and a half months, not only will we fall in love with the God of the word through his words, but that we will experience incredible and profound transformation that leads to liberty and freedom. So let's, let's dive in and let's begin our journey together. Life with God, chapter one. I found as I pulled this apart and read this multiple times and outlined it and studied it, that uh, I'm probably only gonna get through about a third of this particular chapter here. And the title of this chapter is called Seeing the Bible Afresh. Some of the introductory comments here. God has written a revelation of who he is and what his purpose for humanity is in his word. One of the primary reasons that this word was written is to reveal who he is to humanity. We find in the book of Romans that there are two types of revelation. There is what we call general revelation and there is specific revelation. All of humanity stands before God and we will have to give an account because the stars are revelation of the presence and the existence of a creator. The sun, 
the moon, the trees, the mountains, the waves, all of these things, they are all testaments and testimonies of how God has revealed his existence and his involvement in creation and humanity from the very beginning. That's called general revelation. We look to nature, we look to history. But then there is specific revelation, primarily in two formats. We find that Jesus Christ himself is the specific revelation of the existence of God. Jesus says, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Everything about who I am represents perfectly who the Father is. And secondly, God has revealed himself through his word. If you want to get to know God, which every son and daughter has that deep inside of them, as a son, as a daughter, you may not realize this. Sometimes I have to remind my children, you really love daddy more than you love that video game. You don't know that, but, but it's true. And, uh, and I'll tell my, you know, I don't, I don't do this, hey, do you wanna go to the store? I say, you're gonna go to the store with me because it's more important that you're with me than it is that you're with the television. So you're gonna go to the store with me. You don't have a choice in this matter because uh, many year, 20 years from now, you're gonna look back and you're gonna be thankful that daddy made you go to the store with him and let you waste your life in front of a television screen. All right, it is deep inside of humanity to want to know who their father is, who the father God is. And so God has chosen to reveal himself through his word. Now, here's a powerful statement. The intrinsic power or the, the, the power and greatness of the Bible alone does not make it easy for us to receive the life it offers. As I thought about this, basically what that means is the, the Bible is all that it says it is. It has incredible power, but its presence on, in your shelf or its presence in your life alone does not mean that you are pulling everything out of it that is available. And there's thousands of examples that we can use for this. I mean, I, I, own, a, I own a great guitar, it's a nice guitar. I can't do half with my guitar that these guys on stage can. So just because you possess something doesn't mean, I got thousands of uh, DVD workout videos. Obviously, I'm not ext extracting everything out of those workout videos that is within the potential of them, right? But you don't have to laugh. To, come on, guys. Honestly, why are you all shouting amen at that? That's not, that's not cool. You know, I was, we were helping a friend move yesterday and Mark Irwin was telling the story about his, I believe it was his grandmother. And uh, his grandmother, when Coca-Cola first came on the scene, she bought all of these little Coca-Cola trays. I think she bought it for like 10 cents. She had, she had probably a dozen Coca-Cola trays. And uh, nobody knew how great Coca-Cola would become. And uh, over the years, she just held onto the, those trays. They were in pristine condition. Come to find out that uh, her husband, Mark's grandfather, came in and he was just cleaning up and saying, we gotta get rid of these trays, man. They've just been sitting here. You got 15 of these Coca-Cola trays and uh, throws them out into a garage sale. Someone comes and buys them at $10 a piece. Some of you guys already, already know the punchline here. $10 a piece. Boy, did they get a steal because when they went to find out how much those things were worth, one of those trays ran anywhere from three to $500 per tray, sold at $10. That person who bought those knew exactly what they were doing and they were having a field day. Well, listen, just because we own something and possess something doesn't mean that we are, we are pulling all of its potential. Doesn't mean that we understand the full use of its value. Now, this is what he says. He says that we can actually use the Bible in ways that stifle our spirituality. We can actually use this in a way that will um, be detrimental to life. 
And isn't this clear? Jesus talks with the Pharisees a lot about this. In fact, let's look at a verse of scripture here together in John chapter five. Many, many scriptures we can reference here, but we're gonna look at John five to just support this particular point that we can use the Bible in ways that stifle spiritual life. John five, looking at verse 39. Give you guys a second to turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look with me on the screen. Jesus says, and he's speaking here to a group of people, a segment of people known as the Pharisees. These guys were the religious teachers of their day. And these guys prided themselves on the level of knowledge that they had in the scriptures. But that knowledge did not produce life or love as we're gonna get to here in a few minutes. Verse 39, Jesus is saying, you search the scriptures, you study them, you dig into them, you you explore them, you spend a lot of time with these writings because you think that in them you have eternal life. Listen, eternal life, this is very, very, this is a very, very tough road to walk. Eternal life is not found in our human knowledge accumulation of these words. Eternal life is found in the person that these words point to. Eternal life is found in the author of these words, not in the words themselves. Are we together on that? So simply, and guys, listen, there are tons of agnostics who know their Bible, who know the Bible more from a knowledge and literary standpoint, from a memorization of facts and figures standpoint. There are tons of enemies of the cross that know the Bible better than we do. What they do not know is the color of Jesus's eyes or the things that make him laugh or the things that burden his heart or the power and beauty of grace or the mystery of the Trinity. They don't know those things, but they can talk circles around logical arguments. This goes again to validate the point that if we're not careful, we can use the Bible in a way that will stifle our spiritual transformation. It says, it is these scriptures that bear witness of me. Now again, huge 50,000 foot view here. One of the things that we are gonna hear over and over and over again, look at this phrase, these scriptures bear witness of me. The scriptures point to Jesus. The Bible points, it draws us into life and relationship, the with God life of Jesus. And you are unwilling to come to me. There's a lot of people that would, that would substitute relationship with Jesus for study scholastically in the Bible. Now here's, here's my proposition to you. It is not an either or. I'm not advocating uh, some form of spiritual mysticism that says that we, we substitute engagement with God's words for some form of mystical contemplation with God. I am not saying that. Are we clear today? What I am saying is that this is the primary vehicle that God has given to humanity, the enduring word of God, the tangible, touchable word of God as an expression of his character and nature, that this is the venue that he's given to us as the means by which we discover who he is and grow in grace and sonship. 
Let's keep reading here for a few minutes. Jesus says, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. You got a lot of Bible memorization, but you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Now I'm gonna pause right here because I think this is a really good transition point for us to go to. This is a really good transition point for us to go to the next point. The next heading in the chapter is called the source of the problem. And uh, one of the things that I don't think that Richard Foster did very, very well is explain exactly what the problem is. He just kind of headed, you know, he writes this heading, the source of the problem. Then you're like, what exactly is the problem? So I just wrote this down. The problem more accurately defined is that God's sons and daughters, that's us, we hold God's words, the eternal words of life, the most tangible revealed expression of who he is. And yet we experience such small amounts of transformation and Christ-likeness. That's a problem. Anybody agree with that? That's a problem. I mean, we have people, guys, if I was, uh, when I went down to Oklahoma City, I found myself in, in, in the house of, um, of someone who is a very, very strong supporter of the word of God being translated in other nations. And for the protection of who this person is, I'm gonna allow them to be nameless. A well, very well-known person. And uh, he began sharing his stories with me about how he got into uh, the board of this particular missions organization that translates the Bible. And uh, he shared this story. We went up to the mountains of Guatemala uh, when this particular tribe received a copy of the Bible in their own language. And uh, one one of the board members of this organization said, hey, you ought to come with us. This is a pretty cool thing. We create this ceremony and uh, we give them a written copy of the word of God in their language for the very first time. And so this guy does, man, he flies out to Guatemala, he gets on a 15 hour uh, uh, Jeep ride going up into the mountains and they have to get off and backpack a little bit further in. And um, somebody takes a picture of this and and it just makes me tender even thinking about it. There's, There's a small stack of these Bibles in the New Testament written in their particular language. And here's this pastor and he's holding this Bible to his heart and he's weeping that he has the words of God written in his native tongue. And this man who watched this said, my life was forever changed. He says, I've got over 60 Bibles in my study. And I do not approach the word with that level of value and reverence and love and ardency and gratitude as this man who's receiving the scriptures in his own language for the first time. Now that's not, that's not said to indict us, you guys. That's said to, it's just said to inspire us to the beauty of what we have. And the problem here is we have TNT explosive red matter here that is not being taken advantage of. And here's Richard Foster's two primary thoughts on that. He says, the source of the problem is rooted in two common objectives that people have for studying the Bible. Number one He says, I believe that people study the Bible for information or knowledge alone. And when we study the Bible for information and knowledge alone, we will not experience transformation into Christ-likeness. 
literary information, historical knowledge, doctrinal knowledge, theological knowledge, spiritual knowledge, refutational knowledge, all of these things that just kind of, you know, we stack away into our arsenal to knock people down. I remember one time when I was in high school and um, I, I, I had just, my life just got aflame with God. And um, I ran into a couple of Mormon kids. Some of you guys may have heard me tell this story one time. And I was leading this Bible study at school and this one kid come up and, and he began trying to pick a little fight as it related to the scripture. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. And uh, I, I just, I kind of led into him with a barrage of questions and scriptures that he, he just couldn't refute. And I walked away and I kind of shook my head saying, yeah, that's what I thought, you know. You know what, I might've won that battle, but I lost his heart because what I did was I used this as a weapon against the very people that God's trying to win. This is not given so that we can win arguments. It's given so that we can win hearts. Second most common reason, or the most common reason that people read the scriptures, and this really, really convicted me, because I'm guilty of this one. He says, the second reason why people are not experiencing transformation is because the most common reason people read the Bible is to find a formula that will solve the most pressing need of the moment. And this is classical word of faith. I mean, I can't tell you how many scripture lists, books that I've read. If you need healing, these are all the scriptures on healing. You just take those scriptures and you just, you know, you just put them like ammo and you just bam, 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 bam. And now we're gonna talk about standing on the word and praying the word and having faith and all those things. But I, I recognize as I read that, like a knife that cut into my motivation, that there have been times that I've not really been interested in allowing the word to bring me into the heart of Jesus. I've really been interested in using the word to get what I need. I need more money. I'm gonna stand on Malachi 3.10. I'm gonna stand on Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. I'm gonna stand on 2 Corinthians 9. I'm gonna stand, I, I've, I've, got a, I've got a litany of scriptures. And listen, they have helped pull me through. And the scriptures will work and they produced results but they didn't necessarily lead me deeper into the heart and the reality of Jesus. And that, that is what I am proposing to you today, that there is a different way of engaging with God that leads us into deeper discipleship with Jesus. And as a byproduct, I believe that we will see those needs get met. But that is not the primary motivation. The primary motivation is not that we use the word for our needs, and our desires. Listen here, the primary motivation is that we submit our needs and our desires to his through the word. It's just reversing that. Listen to this statement. I think it was a very powerful statement. He says, we seek out lists of specific passages that speak to needs rather than seeking whole life discipleship to Jesus. How many of you guys are connecting some dots here? Because I actually had to pull away from that and I had to lay down. I just had to meditate on that for about 30 minutes. And then I had to repent because I've not been seeking whole life discipleship to Jesus through the word at points in my journey. Whole life discipleship to Jesus means that I don't just pay attention to the favorite passages. I don't just pay attention to the fun passages. I don't pay attention to just the promises Whole life discipleship to Jesus means that from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, it means that every word is an opportunity for God to speak something to me that has the power to change me to become more like him. 
not something for me to use to get what I want so I can be a better version of me. All right, let's end with this. The next heading is called the supernatural power of love. Let me read a couple of statements. Jesus founded on earth a new type of community. In this community, the love of God, which there is a number of Greek words for love in the New Testament, this particular word, as it relates to any time you hear the love of God, it's always agape. Now there's an eros love, which is where we get the word erotic, erotica. There is a fleshly, sensual type of love. There is a phileo love where we get, you know, the, the people of Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's just, it's a, it's a common soulish friendship type of love. But anytime you get to agape, that is speaking of the quality of love that is reserved for God alone. And it's also a type of love, I believe, that we think that we understand, but I don't know if we really do. The love of God. In this community, the love of God came down to live on earth. In the community of the church, love came down to live on earth. By implication, we can say that before Jesus came and before he released the Holy Spirit into this powerful community of family called the church, love did not live on the earth. We can assume that until Jesus came, love did not dwell on earth. If God is love and God is spirit, love is a spiritual reality. Listen to this quote by Dallas Willard. The aim of God in history is creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God himself at the very heart of this community. So it made me think a lot about Antioch. Made me ask questions like, is God at the heart of this community? And then he qualifies this. He says, as its primary sustainer and as its most glorious inhabitant. Isn't that pretty marvelous? Jesus, are you the primary sustainer of Antioch and are you the most glorious inhabitant of this house? That's, that's what I want. And everything that we do from the, 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 the worship, the whole purpose of worship is that God will be invited to become the primary sustainer and that he would become the most glorious inhabitant. When we gather in small groups around tables, let Jesus be the primary sustainer and the most glorious inhabitant. In our marriages, in our home, with our children, may Jesus be the most glorious inhabitant. The proper outcome of studying the Bible is growth in the supernatural power of love. Again, I find myself convicted because I cannot say in my 25 years of following Jesus, I can't say that the primary motivation of coming to the word has been to grow in love. Remember our text from last week, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse five, Paul says the goal of this instruction is love. I'm gonna say this a couple of different ways. The more I discover who God is, and I made this personal, I was just writing this out. God, the more I discover you, the more I truly discover you, the more I become intimately acquainted with you, as a byproduct, the more I grow in your love. That is the measuring stick of spiritual maturity. 
not spiritual gifts, not spiritual knowledge, not academia. Those things only have power to the degree they are submitted to the love of God to the degree that they manifest and make alive the love of God, to the degree they point people to the love of God, to the degree that God's love grows in our life, those things serve the love of God. God is recalibrating our, emotion, our, our motivations. If the measuring stick of maturity is love of God and love of others, the disciplines empower our small love to grow. I was talking with Christy at the table last night and I said, you know, I, I recognize, I'm, I'm recognizing how small my love is. You know, w- when I find myself getting frustrated with natural things that kids do, that is not an indicator of their immaturity, it's an indicator of mine. It's an indicator of how small my love is. When, when, I, when, I'm, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm more concerned with what I have to do than listening to the person in front of me, that is an indicator of how small my love is. When I'm easily annoyed, when I fuel my pet peeves, when I break commitments, that is an indicator of how small my love is. And now the motivation changes. I don't, I don't come to this just so, so I can teach you guys. Why am I doing this right now? I have no idea. That's really weird. Um, <laughs> I don't come to the word so so that I can be more qualified as a preacher or teacher. I come to the word because my love is so small. My motivation is changing. The end result of us spending time with God through his words is that love grows inside of us. Love is the byproduct of true spiritual knowledge. Now, I know a lot of people that probably fight me tooth and nail on that because they have a lot of knowledge and real little love. The first Corinthians 13 test, show me your love. And so the test of whether or not we have really gotten the point of the Bible would be the quality of love we show. James says it like this. You say that you have faith, show me your works. We, 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 could actually, we could actually just tease that out and say, you say that you have faith, show me your love. As God defines love. Now watch, listen, this isn't something we can walk out of this room today and we can try to will our way into being more loving people because, and you have to get this, you have to understand this, it is impossible for you to love with the love of God. That's why we must have transformation. It's impossible. You can try to be more patient, but the fruit of patience rooted in love can only come from the supernatural, miraculous presence of God in your life through his word. Are we together on this? Eugene Peterson utilizes this incredible language here. He says that the word of God actually metabolizes into our lives. It metabolizes. Like food that we eat, 
it's, it starts off in a solid or liquid state and we bring it into our body and then our body does this crazy combustive thing and it metabolizes that physical or liquid matter and it actually produces energon cubes inside of us, right? All my 1980s transformer guys are giggling right now. Everybody else is lost. The word of God metabolizes in your life into transformation in the love of God. And what'll happen, watch this, over time, over time as we humble our hearts before God's word, over time as we sow the seed of who he is into our lives through his word, over time you will find yourself more naturally and more freely responding in love under pressure, under frustration, in crisis. It'll come out of you naturally. That is called fruit, not willpower. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about grace and the role of grace. And he says this phenomenal statement. He says, grace is at odds with works, but not effort. I will drop this microphone. Grace is at odds with works, but it's not at odds with effort. We'll just let that just, just, I'm just gonna sow that seed into your life. We'll, unpa- we'll, just, we'll just water that in the weeks to come. Love is the centering source and the motivation for all that we do. Our reason for knowing the Bible, I'm gonna end with this. Our reason for knowing the Bible and everything that it teaches, eschatology, the reason for knowing the Bible is to know more of love, that we might love more and that might, we might receive more of love. The reason for knowing theology, Christology, the reason for understanding the doctrine of sin, the reason for James, the reason for Esther, the reason for Hosea, the reason for the prophets, the wisdom literature, every part of the scriptures, the reason it exists is that we might know more of love. Let's pray. Father, I pray that our hearts would not be condemned in this moment hearts would come alive and I pray that you would uh, launch every one of us into a new journey I pray that we would all be born again again I pray that you would launch us into a, a new love affair with the God of God's word hiding in your words May we find you. May we grow in love. Let every principle of your word that we employ consciously, let it be done, fueled and empowered by the love of God. Let love be our supreme motivation. Let love become the target and the goal. Mature us, God, in love slow, enduring, patient, unhurried love. Father, we just set ourselves free of any personal or legalistic expectations we place upon ourselves to get this done today. Send us in a lifelong pursuit of being transformed into Jesus. Can we do this today? I wanna wanna make a little transaction. 
where we just trade our love for his. Lord, we just, we just take our small, meager, self-oriented, self-focused love. We take our selfish ambition. We take our self-preservation t- today, Father, right now. And we just trade it. And we ask that in its place that you would put inside of us supernatural, zoe, eternal God love. God love that helps us make right decisions when when we want to choose the thing that feeds our soul, when, when we want to choose selfishness and immaturity and we want to be angry, when we want to be unforgiving, Father, we want to trade our small love for your God love, Zoe love, eternal life love. Father, I pray today that for every person that's in this place that does not know you, I pray for a love encounter in the man Christ Jesus. I pray that your love would knock down walls that we have built up in our minds. I pray that your love would set our hearts free. I pray that your love would heal us and restore us and confer incredible value and dignity and worth upon us. I pray that your love would destroy and eradicate shame and drive out fear that your love would cause us to stand tall in a crowd put an anchor of security in the bedrock of our soul that we are deeply loved by the God of the universe Father today again I pray that we would be walking carriers of agape and that the roots of agape would take root inside of us and produce the fruit of salvation and healing and restoration and reconciliation, restore marriages, restore relationships with children and parents. Lord, even restore churches and denominations. God, I'm praying the breath of God come on the love of God. Let us grow in your word. Let us grow in love. In Jesus' name. God bless you, Antioch.